Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. Resident Evil Extinction, colon, Fury Road, colon, Desert Clone Party Zone. <laughs> Hello. Would you like to lead us in? <laughs> Go for it. God, we're so slick. Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, another mini-sode as we continue our descent, our mind-shredding descent into the Resident Evil franchise. And today, uh, uh, well, before we get to that, sorry, shit, sorry, delete this. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode as we continue our exploration and excavation of the Resident Evil franchise. I'm John, uh, one of your co-ghosts. Joined as ever by my good friend and comrade Ash. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing just great. I'm so excited to talk about Resident Evil, Paco Stink Show thingy. Maybe I'm kidding. This 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 one, Resident Evil Extinction, is high watermark for the franchise. I I really enjoyed Resident Evil Tokyo Drift. Uh, I, Res <laughs> Resident Evil the 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 eviling. Um, Resident Evil, uh, Exorcist Three. Uh, all, all this is this is a great movie. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I re Resident Evil colon Roller Boogie colon The Exorcist is is just a fantastic <laughs> film. Um, I think we should start off though with, um, maybe the thing that actually threw us both, which is, uh, this film. This film opens in a very interesting way uh <laughs> and and uh, the way that i would describe it and ash i want to know if you would agree like do you remember when you were trying to write an essay and you were trying to kind of like bump it up to the word count so you could submit it and you would like control c control v uh just like some stuff you previously written and just put it right at the beginning and hope no mm -hmm. one would notice that's what the yep. opening of this film is. I mean, again, again, we are padding our our movie here pretty pretty thoroughly, and I mean, I guess it, but because they're committing to the bit, it does something kind of interesting because we've done it three times now, where it's kind of instantiating us in this history, you know, and it's it's doing a little bit to ground events, uh, but also not really <laughs> that's me being a little too generous perhaps i kind of get what you mean but i really do think that the problem with co this kind of compulsive repetition of the first film is uh, at this point is a kind of admission of defeat right this is the third one you're probably you're probably not getting new people into the franchise at this point so people are coming to this with a with a pre uh kind of cre a pre created set of conceptions that you have to respond to and in a way basically uh, the previous one the second film and this one both seem to be sort of obsessively recircling the first narrative which is still it's still it's still the best film out of the three in my opinion at, at, le at least the start of this one it gives it a better excuse and it's not just replaying footage it's it's oh there's a cloning vat full of alice's now and they have to go through this like lethal maze that recreates the first scenes of the original movie <laughs> uh, i i sort of 
you know what? We give the Umbrella Corporation a lot of shit, but I applaud them for their uh, hiring practices in in hiring the Jigsaw Killer from the Saw franchise to design their workspaces. <laughs> he was a good engineer. That's all I'm gonna say. You know, it's 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 good it's good to see him getting uh you know responsible employment and lifting him up by his own bootstraps. I mean, that's just fantastic. <laughs> Tru- truly, uh, the the Jigsaw guy, that little puppet on a tricycle, is the embodiment of the American dream. <laughs> I gotta say, as a millennial, a tricycle is more vehicle than I will ever own, so I'm jealous of that puppet. Um, I realize, Oh my god, he also owns property? How many warehouses does that puppet have? I realize that now what we've done is open the door to doing another uh, mini-episode series on the Saw franchise. <laughs> and I deeply regret this. It's just gonna this. be talking about puppets. It's just, <laughs> it's just puppet discourse. Um, yeah, there's, there's now this... There's now this um, kind of cloning facility and what what i what i love what i love is like the first film opened by talking about the ways in which umbrella was kind of grounded in the mundane realities of life right they made consumer products they were in every single home and now basically they have infinite money and infinite people even as the world has literally ended (laughs) i'm like who is sharpening that guillotine blade that they built into <laughs> the wall? Yeah, I, there's there's a massive labor issue here, right? I mean, like one, there are several. Like like this umbrella. I mean, you thought the original hive facility wasn't was an OSHA violation nightmare. Get ready for their secret facility in the middle of the Nevada desert. This this <laughs> thing is just like a. I didn't see a single safety railing. It is just a catastrophe waiting to happen. They've they've got the ch- they've got the chicken wire fences designed to keep out literal hordes of the undead. Oh, I love yeah. it. <laughs> I, I think I think this points to something much less fun though, and that, and I mean like, so the, the idea of this secret government cabal that runs the world, this corporation with infinite money, like the the more movies we get into the Resident Evil franchise, the more this starts to look like right wing conspiracy theories about globalists. And, and, you know, Soros and infinite money and what's he funding and anti-Semitism, you know, so, so we're, we're leaning into those directions. Uh, the more that umbrella stops becoming a, a corporation and the more it becomes kind of this secret international cabal. Yes, I think that's I think that's really true. But I think there are a couple of things to kind of add to that, which is that generally we corporate structures are deliberately designed to be. Uh, globalized, decentralized, and incredibly opaque. Um, mm-hmm. The obvious example of that is the ways in which gigantic multinational corporations can offshore the profits uh, into yeah. into low tax havens to make sure they don't have to pay any taxes in the places that they generate the most revenue. But it, uh, this kind of does flag up something really important that there is this um, ideological contradiction that's running through these three films, right, between a sort of uh, centrist, liberal, anti-corporatism, and at the same time, some deeply reactionary shit. Yeah, totally. And I think it's just it's important to flag that because if we let that if we let that slip under the wheels of discourse, you know, we we run the risk of instantiating those those beliefs and those views by not kind of pointing them out directly, even even when they're. And, and I'll say that they're at, at the point of Resident Evil Extinction. They're fairly minor. We'll see. We'll see what happens in the next seventeen movies. 
But I think I think before before we get to that, there's another there, there's something that is really interesting at the start of this movie, and that's for some reason Salt Lake City now has Appalachian rednecks. Uh, yes. Um, like the Sawyer family is here for some reason <laughs> in in the middle of the Resident <laughs> Evil movie, and like I enjoyed that as kind of like a I'm I'm, I'm like swirling my wine glass, and I'm like, ah, oh, yes, there's. There's notes of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and yep. I, ah, yes, I'm some savoring some hills have eyes, mmm, quite delicious. But like at the same time, I think it's um, I uh, uh, so so I wrote in our notes, uh, Carol Clover, Francis Fukuyama. <laughs> yep. But but I think I think like that that sequence in this movie is really interesting from this kind of like Clover Fukuyama perspective, right? Because it was immediately it calls to mind, I spit on your grave. You know the 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 pinnacle of of rape revenge cinema because that's what we're dealing with at the opening of this movie, right? And like it, it's calling up Carol Clover's brilliant analysis of that film, right? When where she said something to the effect of we we have like this this dual axis and I spit on your grave. It's simultaneously uh, the revenge of a gendered underclass women against a gendered overclass men, but then also an economic overclass uh, urban people from cities versus a uh economic underclass the rural poor and i think we're we're seeing that play out again because even though alice is like a genetic experiment super soldier weapon mutant thing um she she's also coded as being you know like in the original movie she was she was the head of security for the most powerful company in the world right she'd be a millionaire if not richer in reality right like she was very much part of the economic overclass before she became a genetic mutant super soldier zombie thing that can blow up satellites with her mind but we'll get into that <laughs> <laughs> like i think but because this is this is instantiated in like three different kinds of apocalypse which we'll get into next i think there's this kind of end of history to it right and that's like resident evil extinction i think the extinction is the extinction of like contemporary pop culture in this movie because it's everything it's everything at once and it's all dying you know, we have all these horror tropes and they're dying in this movie. We have all these kind of like social commentaries and they're dying. And it, and it gives me like this kind of a better a better version of the of Fukuyama's end of history. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I, I just kind of rambled there. No, I, I completely agree, actually. I think that opening scene is super interesting um, and and actually uh, complicated by the fact by that by by this point, it's and this is something I said just before we started recording that basically uh, by this point we know that there is sort of literally no threat to Alice because she's a she's a genetically engineered bioweapon that has the ability to murder people with her brain. Um, so so when these uh, you know this kind of Appalachian redneck figure figures pop up directly ripping off all kind of the history of hillbilly horror you know we're supposed to be like oh no oh goodness what what might happen but really because we've 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 seen the previous films we're like well this isn't gonna go well for these guys <laughs> you know um and yeah you're right this is absolutely umbrella is acting as as the kind of perfect capitalist enterprise at the end of history um, you know, it has the valorization of the individual great men. The vast, vast majority of the Umbrella workforce is completely invisible, but seems to be almost literally endless. Um, so, you know, the whole point about the, the the kind of end of history is that it isn't necessarily a positive. Not even Fukuyama really thought it was a positive. 
you know, you have basically a collapse into sort of Nietzschean nihilism, basically. That's what Nietzsche talks about in The Last Man. Um, so I, I agree with you, and I think it makes it even bleaker if you do think about it from that point of view. I, I, I think that's a, that's a phenomenal way to look at this. I, and I think that's like, if, if there's anything going on in Resident Evil Extinction that I think is really important, it's, it's kind of how it's addressing this, like, uh, this phrase gets bandied about a lot, but late capitalism, this like late capitalist cultural collapse, you know, everything is retread, everything is exhausted. And there's something really bleak about that. Mm. But I think, I think this, this gets us into a, uh, another question. That's like, who, whose apocalypse is this and whose survivors are these? And what, what is this apocalypse or crisis? You know, and I think like, cause when we, when we, when we are in the resident evil holographic uh, board meeting sessions, they're all like, oh, like next quarter's profits are going to be fantastic if we develop this workforce and we do these things in our corporate agenda. And so like for them, like this, this isn't apocalypse or crisis, it's opportunity. Yes. You know, and like, it's, it's interesting to see who gets written out of this apocalypse. Oh yeah. Completely. You know, like, and, and who, who is allowed to be depicted as a survivor, right? And who's depicted as like a, a, a savage gang of, of zombie dog feeding psycho killers, you know? Like, I think that, and, and again, like I, I've mentioned this like uh, maybe 658 times now, but like whenever you see an apocalypse in a movie, there are some very important questions that need to be asked right off the bat. And that's like, how is that apocalypse being depicted? Right. Because this is post Iraq war and, and, you know, like this is post Mad Max and there's, there's so much to read in apocalypse being depicted as desert landscapes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you know, even when they're set in, like, the the deserts that are in the United States of America, which don't really look like the desert that we got depicted in this movie, you know, like, that is deeply interesting. And also, who gets to survive the apocalypse, how they get to survive, what survival means, you know, like, like uh, and the apocalypse, despite how cultural... cultural <laughs> um, the apocalypse, despite how culture wants to depict it, isn't just a singular event with a singular set of iconographies. It's a, it's a uh, multi-phasic beast that needs to be wrestled with. Completely. I mean, in, in, in many parts of the world, things are literally apocalyptic now. Yeah. And, and the kind of truly worrying thing is, the, the kind of horrific thing is, that really this film provides pretty realistic understanding of what the uh, oncoming and already present climate apocalypse is going to look like. It's going to look like kind of hyper-militarization. It's going to look like excluding as many uh, poor and working-class people. It's going to look like uh, the the violent militarization of borders to exclude the other. Um, it's going to look like the the concentration of, of wealth and population into ever smaller areas. And it is going to look like um, capital protecting itself protecting oh, yeah. its own interests if if as we've talked about in the previous two films the state is functionally useless um what you will have is you will have the only kind of global networks left which is which is capital seeking to defend its own interests which is exactly what we get in resident evil extinction you know like and like they're they're building a clone army of alice's for the purpose of creating a workforce which is, is to me kind of like it's 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 so vague and strange, but that reads into perfectly how how kind of like a corporate logic would approach this situation. Mm. Because Alice is like a transcendent being at this point. You know, we, we get a scene in, in the first half of the movie where she like 
lights a flock of zombie crows on fire with her mind. You know, and later in the movie, she fries a satellite circuitry with her brain. You know, like, she she is beyond human, right? She is something new. And all this corporation can think to do is, like, ah, you know, maybe she can be a janitor, you know? Yes, but how do we monetize this? <laughs> right. Yeah, we've, we've created a demigod, but how is that profitable? <laughs> can we make this into a subscription service? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, your monthly Alice rental fees would definitely be a thing in this world. Um, it, it, one thing I find really interesting is, right, um, and get ready for some whiplash when we get to the next movie, but, like, uh, uh, the T-virus is so powerful that it, it can infect and kill water. Yep. Um, and it, it turns the entire planet into a desert and kills everything that's alive, besides crows, I guess, and people, and it's been some number of years <laughs> uh, since the events of the previous film. Five years. Yeah, I mean, it sounds about right. Any any amount of years would feel kind of ridiculous. So so the scope of this movie, I think it's like an excuse to have a Mad Max adventure. Oh, completely. But like when when you when you start to puzzle it for even like a fourth of a second, it just gets really confusing. I honestly recommend not trying to think about how the T virus works. Yes, <laughs> it's it's basically uh, basically at this point the the the, the Deus Ex Machina. Um, uh, 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 of writing the scripts where you just go, T uh, virus, and you, you hand wave it away, um, ignoring the fact that viruses operate in very um, uh, easily understood and, and uh, uh, ways and, and patterns that can be replicated. Um, of course, if it infects the water, the logical thing to do is to flee to Alaska, which is full of frozen glaciers. That seems complete, yep, makes sense, totally on board with that. That's like usually. Usually, I'm not too phased by kind of like these goofs and these errors in scripting and these little technical and continuity problems. But like, if the virus is so powerful, it's turned the entirety of of North America into a into a desert wasteland. Yeah, and it and it's dried up all the ocean and all the water somehow. Um, I think the oceans are still there on the big world map, but like all the lakes are gone. And and I'm 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 just like, okay, how has this not? Because because they expressly say that it infects and kills plant life. How is Juneau, Alaska, safe? <laughs> yep, I, I I think you're right. At a certain point, you just kind of have to go with it. You just kind of have to be like, I'm just on for the ride. We don't come to these films for plots anymore because plot has. We just want something that sort of strings together. So so uh, never think about the logistics of a roller coaster. Because yeah, exactly. when you're when you're on a roller coaster, there is a there there is an accepted non-zero chance that you will die. That that is designed into the ride. Same with bungee jumping or skydiving. There is a non-zero chance that the apparatus that you're relying on to save you will fail and everything ends. You know, so you just you, you don't think about that. You know, you enjoy the ride. And for Resident Evil, don't don't think about the T virus and how it infects trees and crows and people. Uh, and doesn't make zombie trees, but also make zombie crows, and it's confusing. Yeah, it's confusing. It's very complicated. F- focus on focus on Mila Jovovich being cool. <laughs> That's really the way to get the most out of this. There is one important question that I think we should settle. Yeah. Um, which is maybe the big question about zombie films, right? And I think we should settle that here and now. Why people lie about being bit 
by a zombie or why people hide being bitten by a zombie? So I, I think the, the the answer that people would reach to first would be that, it, and I think there's a truth to this because it's scary, you, you know, like it's it's scary to face your own mortality, right? And and there is this this very human urge to sweep that under the rug, you know, like because when you're bit by a zombie, that's it. There's no going back unless you're in one of the few zombie fandoms like this one <laughs> yep. that have that have a cure that you can that you can take. You know, you're going to die and you're going to die in a horrible way. And, and so, like, I, I, I appreciate the humanizing element of not telling the people around you. However, I think there's something slightly more sinister, and that's neoliberal morality. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we live in a society that constantly reminds you that healthcare is your responsibility. You need to get insurance. You need to go see the doctor. You need to take care of your health. And even if you even if you live in a country that has some publicly funded measure of healthcare, so much of that is still foistered on your personal responsibility to engage with that system and to and to do the responsible things and follow up on all of these things. And that I think feeds back into this fear of being bitten, mm-hmm. right? Because because we live in a world where where healthcare is an individual problem that operates on individual scales rather than a social and systemic problem. Mm-hmm. And being bitten by a zombie, like in a, in a better world, you know, you could be like, hey, everybody, I've been bitten by a zombie. We know for a fact that I have like X hours until I turn. I want to do this, that, and the other, et cetera, and so forth. Or like we can, we have this amount of time to find a cure before we have to take more drastic measures. Instead of like embracing it in that direction, we're forced to reckon with the fact that we live in a world where it's like, you know, like, I I mean, like dental care is a great example of this. I've had so many friends in so many countries that don't treat dental care, you know, like the, the common joke is teeth are luxury bones, you know, that don't treat dental care seriously. And I've had so many friends who just can't afford it, you know, and like, you know, their teeth are rotting and they're like, it's just cheaper to take aspirin than it is to confront this. And that I think is a, it's woven into the substance of why people lie about getting bit. What do you think? No, I completely agree. Um, Mark Fisher called this uh, the idea of responsible as a responsabilization. You know, you're made responsible for things which are systemic issues. And the implication of the question that people ask of like why people don't talk about being bitten is because is also bound up within neoliberalism, right? Because the implications are if you don't talk about it. One, you're refusing to take responsibility, as you pointed out. But two, it means that you are duplicitous. You're trying to gain a kind of market advantage over the people that you're with. You know, so even asking the question, why don't people, why do people lie about being bit, bit or why do people uh, kind of hide being bitten, is is kind of falling into this idea of like neoliberal, neoliberal um, th- threat kind of language, you know. It's this idea that, like, you know, everyone is a threat to me, so I have to kind of minimize my risk, minimize the exposure that I got. Um, whereas if, like you say, if we did take a kind of, if we saw this as a systemic problem, as something that was probably almost unavoidable at some point, not only would we stop valorizing the the figure of the survivor, you know, maybe we would have a kind of more um, kind of accepting and caring collective agency. I didn't even think of that. I, I didn't even think of the ways in which we could read violence I- I- into this and, and how violence is tethered into this kind of like responsabilization that you were talking about. I think that's phenomenal. Uh, so, yeah, let's stop asking the question, uh, why do people hide the fact that they've been bitten? 
uh, it's it's a reflection of our own investment in neoliberalism, uh, and uh, we should reckon <laughs> we should reckon with that fact. And usually, it is it is the people who are most invested in in kind of uh, capitalist acquisition and politics that try and try and hide the facts. You know, it's always like the shifty business guy uh, who mm-hmm. who's obviously dying but refuses to admit it. Um, again, it's because of this yeah. issue of, of responsabilization. Yeah, and and in this movie, um, it's it's the character LJ, who uh, popped up in a previous Resident Evil movie, and he definitely plays on a lot of racist tropes. Yep. Uh, so so him him lying about that, I think, has a worse coding than if it would have been like a corporate executive or someone trying to seize power, like you see in Train to Busan. Yep, absolutely. Um, but I think like I think that's that's a that's a great way to like understand the whole zombie being bit thing, and then like I, I think. We need to ask ourselves why we can't uh, talk about the fact that we've been bitten, you know? And, like, I think this, oh, this, the more I think about it, the more discourse there is here on the whole not talking about being bitten thing. Because it, it plays into, it plays into ableism and it plays into, like, so many conversations that we are, that are very difficult to have today. And, and I think it's so interesting that they emerge here in Resident Evil colon Resident Evil Extinction. Well, I think the biggest one that it skips over is um, uh, talking about death. Talking about... Um, oh, I agree. Finishes, talking about the the fact that we are kind of fragile, contingent, um, uh, delicious bags of meat. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, like, I, death is a kind of, like, invisibilized process, you know? The vast majority of people who work for Umbrella in this um, are completely invisible, and clearly disposable because there's only one line in this entire film that admits, Hey, uh, can you maybe stop sending all of these people to the surface? You're probably going to get them killed. Um, <laughs> so like, like talking, talking about, you know, have you, have you been, have you been bitten by a zombie is about basically talking about, are you, are we willing to accept the fact that all of us are, are, are finite, are contingent. All of us will die. Um, it's not that we're all infected, as The Walking Dead kind of nihilistically put it. It's that eventually, all of us will cease to be. Uh, do you want to talk about the fact that um, uh, this movie seems to be missing missing a movie between two and three? There seems to be something missing. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's it's really interesting that we go from like the end of the previous Resident Evil movie with everybody crash landing in a forest and Alice being you know liberated from a testing facility to the start of this movie when like they they've been separated because like so in the missing movie is waved away in a single line of dialogue right where when Alice meets the group of survivors again and they're like where have you been superhero. And she's like, I had to go on this wild quest where I, I hacked into Umbrella's facilities and, and, and figured out all their satellite information. And like, <clears throat> if you, and, and then like also not to mention the fact that the entire world is dead. <laughs> I, I, f- I feel like this, this the re- for some reason, the Resident Evil uh, movies, which are about a series of games about zombie outbreaks, skip the global zombie outbreak movie. 
and go straight into the Mad Max Desert Apocalypse movie. I feel like there there is a Resident Evil 2.5 that we lost here. Oh, completely. And it would actually make this... And what's so strange is that this film reuses so much footage, and yet it still, mm-hmm. can't, it still can't make the narratives join up. <laughs> yeah, there, there are a lot of really desperate attempts to try and, like, stick all the Resident Evil movies together. Which, I mean, like, if you're a fan of the series of the games, it, sure, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yes. Should we, should we mention the fact that this includes um, somebody in Las Vegas uh, climbing into a kind of casino landmark with a high-powered rifle? Uh, yeah, and, and the line he utters while climbing it is, climb the Eiffel Tower with a high-powered rifle? A few years ago, that would have caused a stir. Which is said, like, under his breath while he's kind of far away from the camera, so it's it's not as readily perceptible and i think like is so much of these resident evil movies how we read them changes but like my god like two weeks ago there was a fascist seizure of the capital of the united states of america not to mention school shootings and all these other mass shootings that happen like i mean like thanks to coronavirus less often but like before that constantly and that that line just like it it is uh powerful unintentionally um, yeah, especially when you think about, what was it, 2019? There was the yes, mass shooting yep. in Las Vegas. The motive for which has still never been officially determined. Finally, I think we should talk about uh, one of the coolest ways to go out ever. Serious? Okay, so this is this is honestly, like, I, I th- this movie is full of its own uh, faults and and problems and foibles. Uh, but so there's a, there's a character... Um, Played by Oded Fair, uh, Carlos Olive, uh, Oliveira. Um, Car- Carlos has been bitten. Um, and again, there, there, there's a cure in this world, but eh, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the film seems to have forgotten that there's an antivirus, but we won't get into that. Yeah. And, and so, like, everybody needs to break into this umbrella facility in, in order to save the day. And so he's going he's gonna to sacrifice himself. Right, and so he he drive he drives a, a truck full of explosives in, into the crowd of zombies to kind of clear a path for our heroes. And as as the zombies are are breaking in before the bomb goes off, he like he like finds a joint that was like hidden under the under like the visor, and, and like his final words are like "LJ, you sneaky son of a bitch," and then he lights a joint and explodes. <laughs> and and honestly, honestly, that's a really badass way to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, like we it's, have, it's we've, we've spent a lot of time we've spent a lot of time talking about um, talking about the fact that this film makes no sense. Uh, its villains' motivations are almost opaque in how unclear they are. Um, but also, it does feature Colossus uh, just genuinely cool as hell death. Um, right. There yeah, some... very, very just dudes being dudes right there. <laughs> just dudes hanging out. Uh... But I, I think for me, what makes that so so compelling is is the the acceptance that he has, right? Yeah. Because I think a lot of a lot of because this is this is a common trope of zombie movies, right? One of our heroes is bitten, and then to save everyone else, they're going to sacrifice their life. You know, this this is this is stock zombie plot point. 
and I think what makes this so interesting for me beyond beyond like the the kind of aesthetic trappings that that just give it that cool vibe, mm. I, I think for me it's that like he seems pretty all right with what's happening, right? He's kind of made peace with his fate, you know. He it, it's deeply agential, you know. It's not it's it's not this kind of like dark sacrifice that we see in in other zombie movies. For him, it's it's a it's it's this kind of like realization. Of, of his own agency in like this deeply complicated and very full sense, which gives it a, a lot of weight underneath the whole, like taking a drag off a joint and then you blow up a giant crowd of zombies as the infection tears through your blood. Uh, so there, there's some layers here that I think that probably aren't intended by the film. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's deeper than it's deeper than you might think. Final thing that we should bring up. Again, uh, I feel like I could, I honestly could feel like I could spend an hour talking about Ian Glenn in this film, um, but I'm not going to because I'm sort of hoping he comes back. Maybe? Don't, we'll find out. Um, <laughs> uh, no spoiler, you know our show, no spoilers. <laughs> we hate spoilers. Let's talk about clones as the final thing. Clones in the chat. <laughs> How did you feel? How did you feel about the end of this movie and the forest of Alice clones that we get? Um, it's it's clearly designed to be one of those oh my god uh, cliffhanger endings. But but you I weren't freaking out. I I was I was I was so hyped. <laughs> the I, I was in full meltdown. I was like what? And I like flipped my coffee table and jumped out my window. It was like wild. Um. And I, I, I love that we've basically, uh, basically at this point, the films have sort of given up on uh, the idea of, you know, Alice as, as a kind of person. Um, she's a, a psychic m mind wizard who's also uh, a, a kind of perfect combat warrior. So uh, I'm sort of like, okay, cool. Let's let's escalate this even further. So a uh, deep philosophical question for you. What do you think happens? So you haven't seen the next movie, right? Just to confirm here, you don't know what happens in the next film? I do not know, no. What do you think happens now that we have hundreds of Alice's in a, in a desert apocalypse world and the final line is, I'm coming for you and I'm not alone this time. Uh, I, I imagine we're going to have like uh, well, we know Umbrella has got bases worldwide. I imagine we're going to have a variety of kind of Alice uh, storming different Umbrella bases across the world and murdering Umbrella executives uh, in 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 a variety of inventive ways. Um, I, I we could spin that out to ninety minutes; it'd be fine. I want you to hold that description in your heart as you watch the next movie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm excited. It's all that is all I'm going to say about that one. I'm so excited for you to see Resident Evil 14 or something. Can I just check? Does that make too much sense or does it not make enough sense for the Resident Evil franchise? Uh, you know what? Both. <laughs> Easily and decidedly both. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say about Resident Evil 3, Resident Evil Desert Party Zone? Uh, Resident Evil Fury Road was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, 
and immeasurably, immeasurably better than the second one, um, but not quite as good as the first one, which still makes a bit more sense. Although I am glad they brought back uh, the laser grid. R.I.P. Colin Salmon from Resident Evil 1. That was a cool way to go. <laughs> uh, laser grid laser grid rules. Uh, as we discussed in the previous one, the laser grid is Leninist. Uh, so make, make of that what you will, but you will make of that a good political reading of lasers. Uh, and I wanted to thank you. Thank you for joining us in this mini episode. I know you're all listening from your desert nightmare viral apocalypse bunkers. Uh, so as, as usual, we're going to end this episode by saying look out for crows. Ha 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 